be on your best behavior for that lifeguard because today you're diving into the card pool. I'm your host, Kyle Robertson. And I'm Stu Valletta. And today we're looking at the top 10 money cards of Scourge. This is part two concluding our set review of Scourge, but be sure to check out our previous one in which we discussed our top 10 hidden gems that we each found from that set. But without further ado, let's start our review. All right, Stu, let's start it off. And I can think of really no better way to start this off with our number one card coming in at $10, a very spicy five color legendary pick. It's called Sliver Overlord. As I mentioned, it's five colors, one of each of the five colors. And it is a legendary creature and a sliver mutant at that. It's a 7-7 seven, seven for 5. Tap 3, any color, search your library for a sliver card, reveal that card, and put it into your hand. Then shuffle your library. Or, tap 3, once again, any color, gain control of target sliver. And it does make a specific note that this effect does not end at the end of the turn. If you're playing slivers, and I gotta admit, slivers is a really, really excellent tribe, I may hate facing it down on the other side of the table, but I sure as heck love playing it and just have a lot of respect for the deck because Slivers really are just that good. Sliver Overlord is probably your commander of choice. There are a lot of different options. You have the Sliver Queen, you've got Sliver Hive Lord from the newer sets, you've got Sliver Legion. There's a bunch of different legendary five-color Slivers that you could make your commander, but as I said, Sliver Overlord, I think, is the go-to and probably the best one of the lot. First of all, it is a very impressive 7-7 for 5 mana, which is really nothing to sneeze at right off the bat. But let's take the lesser of the two effects first. Gain control of target Sliver, and it's 3 colorless. You don't even have to tap this thing or do anything. You can do this as many times as you can pay for it. It may seem a bit narrow because you look at it and you're like, well, what are the odds that anyone else is going to be playing Slivers other than me? Don't forget, changelings are very much a thing in the game of Magic, and a lot of tribal decks and just other decks have changelings because they're good cards. Chameleon Colossus, for example, is one that can be slotted into a whole range of decks, not just tribal-related ones, because it's just that good. Also, there is a cute little combo that you can do with this card and Amoeboid Changeling, which is itself a changeling and can be searched up with Sliver Overlord, which allows you to alter the types of other players' creatures at will so you can take them very easily with Sliver Overlord. And that's not even mentioning that first ability where all you have to do is tap three mana to put any Sliver card from your deck into your hand. That kind of free, almost, tutor ability to get any kind of creature you need, and with Slivers, any kind of effect you need to the battlefield is just absurdly good. And keep in mind, it once again says Sliver card, not Sliver creature, so this allows you to tutor up tribal removal spells like Crib Swap and Nameless Inversion. This is a Mythic level card, and this is before Mythic was printed, so right here it really shows you how much value is in this card. It can tutor like we said, and recurrable tutors for essentially as much mana as you can put into it is really, really strong. Typically to have an effect like this, it's usually triggered on an upkeep. Like you see something like Bringer the Black Dawn being able to tutor for anything. This is before Commander truly existed. So this card's way off balance for it. Now, if it was being created today, it would probably have a little bit of a different stat and a little bit of a different cost to do that search ability. But for back then, they wanted to make this fun and impressive and try to create a new style of play for it. If you're facing this deck, you have to be able to quickly destroy whatever they have because if it sits, they can make a shroud, indestructible army with flying and death touch and lifelink and poison and it just grows and grows. 
So if you haven't seen a Sliver deck and you want to make a budget one, just check these cards out. It's like a fair version of Infect, and that right there is already blowing people's minds. Now moving into our number two slot, we have an awesome card for 550 called Stifle. It costs one blue and it's an instant. And this card reads counter target activated or triggered ability. So it's a very simple card. It's a different style of counter spell because typically a counter spell counters the cost of playing a card. Not in this case. What this one does is it stops some sort of effect on the field. If a creature using a tap effect, a sacrifice ability, or even a planeswalker is using some sort of loyalty ability, you now have the ability to stop it. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle, I believe this is one of the first cards that ever had that effect to make it so that you can then counter an effect. Yes, Stu, Stifle was pretty much the first instance of a card that could counter activated or triggered abilities. And I would add that this can also stop generic enters the battlefield abilities too, because those are triggered abilities. And God knows there are enough broken ETB effects out there to make it worth it right there. I'll also point out the fact that this card has become a little outclassed in the more modern cards. In my personal choice, I would love to have something that can either stifle and counter as opposed to being limited to one or the other. Now, again, this is an older card. And for back then, people ran counterspell and stifle just for the effect that they had a stronger amount of versatility. But this is still a great card to run in any deck. There's just more things that have a similar effect to it now. But this is the original OG guy that we had for this, and it's still makes a significant impact in the game. Nowadays, we have cards like Void Slime and Disallow, as you were mentioning, Stu, that can pretty much do the same thing as well as other things. But Stifle, for one mana to counter those kinds of abilities that are out there, you really can't beat that rate. And one of the just meanest things you can do with this is to counter the activated ability of somebody's fetch land. So they go through all the effort to probably pay life, crack a fetch land that doesn't really do anything on its own. You stifle it, and they get nothing for all that work. That just kind of adds insult to injury, but it is a very real use of this card and shows how good it can be. Looking ahead to number three on our list for $5, we have Undead Warchief. This is an interesting kind of tribal card. It costs four to play, two colorless and two black. It's a zombie, as you might have guessed from its name, and it's a 1-1. Now, all other zombies you play cost one colorless less to cast, and zombies you control get plus two plus one. As I was kind of saying a little bit there in my wording of the card, the wording of Undead Warchief has been changed a little bit over time in that other zombies you play cost one colorless less to cast, so Undead Warchief still costs four, he doesn't cost three. However, one piece of wording that has not ever changed on this card is all zombies you control, including himself, get plus two plus one. So this guy automatically enters the battlefield as a three, two for four. Not a terrible rate, but not great either. But then you got to take into account the fact that it lowers all your other zombies cost by one, which generic blanket cost reduction like that is a very good ability. And it's not a plus one plus one ability, it's a plus two plus one ability. That's almost double the power of your standard lord right there. And that's just an insane amount of power and value in one card. There was actually a whole war chief cycle in Scourge with a goblin lord and a beast lord and other various types of lords that were supported in the different colors. But I think Undead Warchief is probably the strongest one just because of the cost reduction and combined with the 
overwhelming stat boost that it kind of provides for a lord. Also, it's in zombies, a creature type that loves to swarm and loves to play things out as quickly as possible. This card goes in so many different decks, zombie, tribal, or no, just because of the immense bonus it provides. And the reason it commands a price tag like this is because, yeah, after all this time, even still, it remains one of the best tribal lords out there. This is a great tribal card, and I mean, it does a lot of different things. And typically what you see for some sort of like mana reduction card, like Foundry Inspector, it has the same kind of stats. It is a 3-2, and it has the ability to also lower the cost of artifacts. But in this case, instead of having the 3-2 body on Undead Warchief, which is definitely a lot stronger, and it does cost one more mana, I would gladly play that one more mana to have an Anthem that big. It's really strong, it's really powerful. Now going into another blue card, our number four slot is going to a blue enchantment. Decree of Silence, it costs a whopping eight mana, six generic, and double blue. And it reads, whenever an opponent plays a spell, counter that spell and put a depletion counter on Decree of Silence. Now it also has the added clause for cycling if you pay four generic and double blue. And when you cycle Decree of Silence, you may counter target spell. So this is a very versatile enchantment. It can play as a sorcery in effect, or it can also be an on-the-field enchantment. So this way you can make it so you can have more counters, or you can have less. Cycling is an instant speed effect, so this way you can make it so you do get the, the counter that you need, and you draw a card. But it does cost two less mana, so a counter spell for six mana is very, very expensive, and there's a lot of cheaper ones out there. You have mana drain, you have counter spell, you have cancel. So for six mana, it's very steep. However, the added clause of when this is an enchantment is very good for the fact that you can counter three spells. So you can have this counter spell be greater, especially for the mana cost. You want this to be greater. And this is a really strong card. It goes great in blue-white control decks or enchantment matters decks because it's just a strong card. You can give this thing Shroud if you're playing Greater Armancy, and it can be saving itself longer and longer, and it is just an overwhelming card to go through. This actually is kind of a counterintuitive card, because in a lot of cases, when something puts counters on itself, you want more of them to be on here, which makes them good with cards like Proliferate. Decree of Silence is really not at all good with Proliferate and those kind of cards because you don't want the depletion counters on there. In fact, you want to take them off if at all possible. And I should note, there really aren't a whole lot of cards in Magic that can just take counters of any kind off of permanence. There are a few, like Power Conduit and so forth, but where this card kind of really shines and a fun little place to play this is in a Chise Heart of Oceans deck. It's a random mono-blue legend from the Kamigawa block that basically in order to keep this big flying dude around, you have to pay the cost of removing a counter from a permanent you control at the beginning of every upkeep. Random combination, I know, but combine that with Decree of Silence and you can almost lock other players out of the game and stop them from playing anything good. As you were saying, Stu, six mana to cycle this and counter a spell, even if you are drawing a card off, it is a little too expensive nowadays, but for eight mana, that ability to shut down at least three spells, that's pretty much where you should be at if you consider the base rate for countering a spell to be three mana. So add that up three times, nine. Eight's actually kind of a discount when you think about it. A very interesting card. It certainly doesn't belong in every deck, 
but decks that can kind of make use of this and want that versatility, yeah, this is a card to consider. Moving on down the list at our number five slot for the price of $4, we have a black sorcery, and it's called Decree of Pain, and it's a pretty powerful one at that. It costs a whopping eight mana to play, six colorless and double black. You destroy all creatures, they can't be regenerated, and you draw a card for each creature destroyed in this way. Now, it can also be cycled for three colorless and two black, and you draw a card when you cycle, obviously, but also when you cycle Decree of Pain, all creatures instead get minus two, minus two until end of turn. I really, really, really like this card. This is probably my favorite black board wipe and what I consider the best one for versatility and card advantage. Definitely not the best one because of its prohibitive mana cost, because eight mana is kind of a lot when other colors can do this for just four. Even black can. I mean, Damnation is a thing. Mutilate is almost the exact same thing maybe better sometimes, but I love this because just think in many games, especially a multiplayer one, of the absurd amount of card advantage you can generate from this thing, all for doing exactly what you want to do, which is clear out all kinds of problem creatures. Regeneration isn't so much a thing anymore, but it does catch a bunch of old cards off guard without being able to regenerate, which is also kind of nice. I also like the idea that the cycling mode on this can also kind of be a board wipe at times, but is maybe even better than the actual card itself. Because if you're playing, think about it, a deck with a bunch of big creatures and you're facing down a token deck, you might be at a little bit of a disadvantage. But with Decree of Pain, you could take out conceivably their entire army while keeping your own intact. And drawing a card on top of that as well, that's pretty awesome. Oh yeah, we'll draw multiple cards on that note, Kyle. That's what the real energy is on this card. I mean, honestly, I typically like a card like Damnation just for the low cost and playing out just destroy all creatures. But having the versatility, like you said, all these different kind of modes on it really does make it shine. And it's almost like a slightly more expensive Languish but again, you don't always want Languish to do just minus four. Sometimes you need to do something more impactful like destroy all creatures, henceforth. Being able to make it so it could be a slightly nerfed version of that and also a stronger version of Damnation, it really makes it so this card can see home in a lot of decks. Also, you can cheat this card into play depending on what kind of style you're doing. And me being a five color player, Fist of Suns is the first thing I think of where it's like I could pay five and instead of doing the cycling cost for that, pay Skittles, for example, and destroy all creatures draw a lot of cards that would just shine perfectly so that's something right there that wouldn't really hold me back on the mana cost provided that you have a way to either recur this or cast it out or get some sort of combo but all in all it's what black wants to do and comparing this to something like in garrick's wake i would rather this over in garrick's wake just for the fact that how much mana you're putting into it, I'd rather these options. But moving right along to our number six slot, for three and a half dollars, we have Dragon Speaker Shaman. It costs three mana, one generic, and double red for a barbarian with a 2-2 body. It has one simple effect, and it works with dragons. Dragon spells you play cost two generic less to play. So right here, this is a very tribal strong card without being an actual tribal piece for the fact that it isn't a dragon. It just goes ahead and lowers the cost of all dragons. Now this is good in comparison to something like 
the medallions in which they lower the color of a cost. So pearl medallion lowers all white spells by one. Ruby medallion lowers all by red. And we even see these with the new monuments right now. Like Oketra's monument lowers all creature costs that are white by one. So this is something that's good for tribal synergies because it's more than one. This is two. Usually you need to have some sort of combo enabled for it to be more than one. Yeah, I am kind of mad that this isn't a dragon itself, but still... This is just a really, really good card. You see a lot of ones out there, like some of the War Chiefs that we've been through in this set already that lower the cost of a certain creature type by one. That's pretty common across a lot of different cards and is pretty good. This lowering a cost by two and dragons especially, which have some of the highest mana costs and the most difficult creatures to play, but with the most possible reward in the entire game, a full two mana reduction on their cost is just amazing, amazing value. And hey, this guy does have a body, a relatively decent one, so he can get into some combat conceivably depending on what's with him and what kind of deck you're playing. So all in all, this is an absolute staple in Dragon Tribal, no matter what what kind of colors you're running it in. I guess as long as you have red, of course. Oh, of course. But this also reminds me of two other cards very similar to this. One of which is Dragon Lord Servant, which we saw from the Khans block. And another one that we see more recently is a commander itself who has this effect on Imminence, the Ur Dragon, for example. So you have ways to lower the cost and then lower the cost further. So this is something that isn't too uncommon to see, but this is one of the earliest forms of seeing it for a tribe, which is really strong. Next, we're going to go back to blue for our number seven on this list at the price of $3 a copy. It's called Long Term Plans. And this is an instant. It costs three mana, two colorless, and one blue. Search your library for a card, shuffle your library, and then put that card in third from the top. This is pretty notable, I think, because we see blue able to tutor for certain things. Fabricate for artifacts, mystical tutor for instants and sorceries, but we don't really see blue able to get anything it wants from its own deck other than perhaps through mass card draw and hoping that you get what you're looking for. This is very notable in that black is really the only color that gets whatever it wants by tutoring and the blue having it obviously makes this really really good. The catch though is that you have to have patience with this. There is no immediate return on your investment and it can also be dangerous if you or other players are doing things that are causing you to shuffle your deck a lot. So the card that you put in third from the top, even if you are planning on just drawing it next turn or something, might not be there by the time it gets there. It's like if you play a fetch land, then oops, there goes your whatever card that you got. However, it does play well with certain cards that you might otherwise play in a blue deck anyway. As I said, drawing cards with this is good because you're almost guaranteed to get the card that you searched for. It also works very well with the likes of Scroll Rack, Sensei's Divining Top, and especially a commander that I like using this with is Dragonlord Ojitai because whenever you hit for combat damage, you're going to anticipate and look at your top three cards. Chances are you're going to want the one that you just put in third from the top anyway. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, this is great for what it does, like you said, because it can get anything. The only card that I can truly think of that does that for blue is Distant Memories, and that's conditional. This one just flat out does it. And like you said with blue, Kyle, it has the ability to dig deep. So this might not even take a full three turns to get. You can go ahead and ponder. You can brainstorm. Or if you have... Like, 
like Ristic study out, it won't take too long. Maybe you'll get it at the following turn it comes around to you or even before that. So this is something isn't the best thing on its own, but it can be even better than a flat out mystical tutor because it can be at a speed of a fabricate in blue. And that is very, very strong. But enough about blue. We all know that's a horrible color, Kyle. So we're going to go over to black at our number eight slot for two and a half bucks. And this card is not for the faint of heart. This is Lethal Vapors. It is a four drop enchantment costing two generic and double black. Whenever a creature comes into play, destroy it. And for zero mana at instant speed, destroy Lethal Vapors. You skip your next turn. Any player may pay this ability. So like I said before, this is a very black card that just likes to do a stranglehold on the board. It makes it so that literally nothing's coming out, nothing is sticking, and if you want this to go away without having any form of like enchantment removal, which again, enchantment removal is pretty tough to get outside of green. So if you aren't a green player and you don't have any of this, you might have to just flat out skip your next turn for this. I should note though that creatures that are indestructible or that can regenerate themselves will get around this card. I think that is worth noting because there are certain cards out there that will play well with this. When I say play well, I mean possibly get around it. And hopefully you're the one playing them. Someone else is, you might be in trouble. But like you said, Stu, this is just a great Punisher-style card, like Sulfuric Vortex and the like, that forces players to basically skip a turn just to get this thing out of the way. And they will want to, unless they have some really weird deck that benefits from this sort of thing. And it leads to very awkward multiplayer situations where everybody knows this thing has to go, but nobody really wants to be the one to skip their own turn in order to do it. That's a very steep cost to pay in order to get rid of this thing. And it's almost like, especially in a two-player game, a time walk for a black deck. That's not something you really see all that much outside of maybe Temporal Extortion is the only one I can think of right now. Really fantastic card that like you said, is not for the faint of heart. I mean, wow, that is power right there. I mean, this is almost another copy of Spreading Plague, except for this one is just flat out destroys everything when it enters into the field. So this is just, again, if you're running this, I would typically throw this in a super friend strategy for the fact that you don't really run creatures, and typically the archetype with that body is Atraxa, that runs black. So this is a great way to keep it so your foot game on the battlefield is strong without putting you back and without slowing you down. And again, wow, this is continual board wipe for free. Uh, yeah, what's the downside of this again? <laughs> well, agreed, Stu. And speaking of powerful cards that you should probably be afraid of, this is definitely one of them. Going back to our theme on dragons, Number nine on our list at $2.25 is Dragon Tyrant. This is a dragon creature, of course it is, which costs 10 mana that's 8 colorless and 2 red. Now it has a 6-6 body along with Flying, Trample, and Double Strike. At the beginning of your upkeep, you have to sacrifice Dragon Tyrant unless you pay 4 red mana. Also, you can tap one red mana to give Dragon Tyrant plus one plus O oh until the end of the turn. Let me get one thing out of the way right now. This is a big, scary creature in a very relevant creature type, and cards out there that exist like the Ur-Dragon and Dragon Speaker Shaman just make this thing ridiculously easy to play, probably even with haste, and it's going to be swinging in for at least 12 damage if you can't block it just straight up. 
However, I do think that unfortunately, Dragon Tyrant has probably gotten outclassed over time in terms of big scary dragons. I know of a lot of different dragons, especially multicolored dragons, I would much rather play over this card. Perhaps this can go in different decks than those dragons can, but still. The upkeep cost especially is what really gets me with this card because paying four red, and that's four solid red, every upkeep just to keep this guy around can be a little prohibitive unless you're in a mono red deck and even if you're not tying up the mana like that is not necessarily that great in the late game however i will say though that double strike is what really makes the card scary here and with the fire breathing effect which it has as it does you're basically tapping one red to add two more damage onto it every time it hits somebody and that is pretty powerful, I'll admit. Oh yeah, and I mean, like you said, Kyle, the whole upkeep cost, that is the downside to this, but I would argue it could also help you. I would love to see this in a Rakdos deck, I mean, with any kind of reanimator commander at the helm, just for the fact like you can go ahead and wheel a fortune this to the graveyard and then do some sort of combo with like reanimate, bring it right back and then keep it going with that. So you could inherently get around the mana cost on this hefty, hefty dragon. And being able to, like you said, fire breathe this thing up and also has trample. It has trample. This didn't have trample and it only had haste. I'd argue that it might not be too good, especially because of the fact that it has double strike. But for the fact that it does have trample, oh, yeah. Good luck chump blocking this because any strategy you had to avoid damage, it's not going to work right now. Well, honestly, I think if they were to remake this today, I think they would just lose the upkeep cost because it's just fine as it is. Like, it's not like it's so overpowered now where, like, back then this is like, oh, my goodness. Oh, lordy, lord. This dragon's on the field. What could I ever do about this? Oh, well, they have to keep obligating their mana. That was the only way to make it so it was kind of nerfed to be fair. I don't think that really is that impactful anymore. I mean, someone please correct me in the comments below, but I think this thing's fine as is. Yeah, and it costs 10 mana. And it doesn't really have any built-in protection for itself of any kind, so it probably would be fair if you just lost that upkeep cost. Yeah, now if it had pro-white or pro-black, then yes, I could see that, and that would be something to be formidable. Going on to our number 10, for $2, we have a sorcery called Tendrils of Agony. Now this costs 4 mana, double black, and double colorless, for the fact of target player loses 2 life, and you gain 2 life. But in addition, it also has Storm stapled onto it, which we've gone over about before. So this right here is essentially a winning combo piece to Storm by being able to siphon life from all your opponents and making so that you can go ahead and just flat out win the game. Yeah, this is one of Storm's main win conditions. Unfortunately, you can't play with it in modern. That's what Grape Shot is for. But this is played in some of the older formats, which also have Storm decks. The best thing about Tendrils of Agony, in my opinion, and aside from the fact that it drains life and gives you life back, which is pretty sweet and you can do a lot of things with, like Aetherflux Reservoir comes to mind as well, but this can't be stopped by cards that prevent damage, like something like Grape Shot and Ignite Memories can. It's also, however, weak against hexproof players. Things like Leyline of Sanctity or Aegis of the Gods shut this down just as hard as Grape Shot and Ignite Memories because they all do target players. So it's not everyone, it's just target player, which sort of pulls back on the power level of this card a little bit, but still, this is really, really powerful as cards like Grape Shot have proven. It can be a little niche, but it's not something you truly have to worry about with like a person having Ruined Halo on them to be safe from this card. 
Probably not, but it can happen, especially, as you said, now that even legendary creatures sometimes have this kind of effect. So it's definitely something to be careful about if you're trying to win via Storm cards like this one. Yeah, and again, also the same thing that Storm also runs into as a problem is that for the simple fact that this being countered, if somebody's smart and they save the counter spell just for the very end and you don't have any protection, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't have protection if you're trying to Storm off, but just in the same effect, if they have some sort of counter spell, that's also another bane to this kind of style. Well, that does it for our review of Scourge. We've seen all the money cards. We've looked at our hidden gems, and now it's time to rank it as a whole. Stu, would you like to explain our ranking system? So we rank on a scale from bronze, silver, gold, and platinum, and we base this off of the overall mechanics and themes that we see of the set, how we feel the impact is that it's affected on magic, and lastly, the gems that we ourselves have found. So Kyle, based off of that, where would you rank this? Well, I was really torn, Stu, between giving Scourge a gold or a silver, and maybe it's uncharitable of me, but I finally settled on silver. There are a lot of things that this set does have in its favor. For one thing, I would argue that the impact on the game was pretty large, if for no other reason, because this introduced the storm mechanic to the game, which has spawned some of the more broken competitive strategies and more powerful cards in Magic history. That alone kind of puts the power level of this set really up there. Also, in the money cards and our hidden gems, there are some pretty cool cards here. There are tribal staples. Tribal was a huge focus of the Scourge set. We see great zombie cards. We see great dragon support cards. We even saw a few great goblin support cards too, and that was actually a huge part of what made the set what it was. Heck, we even have an awesome Sliver Tribal Commander, which is pretty darn cool as well. But there are also, to balance that out, a lot of other cards that I just can't quite get behind, really. Looking at cards like Riptide Survivor that kind of use Morph and stuff to kind of their advantage, I've never been a huge fan of Morph. I feel like you put a lot more into these things than you get out of it. And Morph, as a mechanic, hasn't really aged all that well and doesn't turn out all that popular with the Commander crowd most of the time. So maybe that's just my personal bias against it, but I've never really cared for that whole thing. In my opinion, Scourge definitely deserves a silver for sure, but I think it falls just short of a gold. I also kind of like the fact in this set that there are dragons, dragons being one of my personal favorite creature types in all of magic, and I think a lot of players would like to agree. Scourge kind of inaugurated the era of battlecruiser magic, which was later, I think, done much better and perfected in a set like Rise of the Eldrazi. These cards, like Dragon Tyrant, for example, while they were probably pretty powerful when this set was first printed, again, they haven't really aged all that well. So, like I was saying, I think Scourge deserves a silver. Some things about this set, like Storm and Tribal, did age very, very well. Other things, like Morph and whatnot, did not. So that kind of marks it down a tiny bit, in my opinion. Overall, I got to go with the silver medal. Well, I think, Kyle, this will be our first set that we will be disagreeing upon because I'm giving it a platinum. No, I'm kidding. It's definitely a gold. I love this set for a lot of different reasons. It has its highs and its lows, like you said. Now, I think the highs are a little bit greater than the lows. Now, I will agree with you that I don't think there's any one creature in here that really sticks out to me as being something absolutely incredible, except for maybe Forgotten Ancient that we talked about. There's a lot of staples that we see as in support. Now you said tribal support, but I say we see a lot of really good instants, 
sorceries, and enchantments. And those are good in a variety of different decks. And there's no one true theme here, like you said. Like, yes, there is some morph, but the one morph card I found, Mischievous Quainar, he is just an interesting card that is so abusable, and I've never seen it. So there is a lot of hidden potential here. Now, there are some synergies that are very obvious, like we said, with Storm, and there are also some very obvious tribal ones. But I think there's still so much meat on the bone still. I agree with you as time has progressed. A lot of these cards have gotten outclassed. And I mean, that makes sense. Cards are supposed to, as more sets happen with that. But the fact that we're still able to find hidden gems in this set that are really abusable, really forgotten, and can really make an impact on the game, I would argue they're worth a lot more than what you would actually buy them for. And for that, I'm not giving up on this set. I still think it's a gold. It's not close to a platinum. I think it's just higher than a silver. Not by a lot, but like if we're going from like a C plus to like a B minus, it would be at the B minus, just over the hill. So I love this set. I would even like to draft this set at some point in the future if I get the money for a box, but I think it is rooted strongly in a gold. So that's our pool time for today. And once again, if you liked what we had for you today, make sure to check back in our previous video where we talked about our top 10 hidden gems from Scourge as well. And if these toys are something that you use in your decks be sure to let us know in the comments down below and if that's not truly your style be sure to let us know on twitter at mtg the cardpool or email us at mtg the cardpool at gmail.com i'm Stu galetta and i'm kyle robertson and we'll see you next time at the cardpool